right, we're going to begin this time again with a word of prayer, and James uh, Jinx is going to lead us in that word of prayer, and we'll get started with some questions. By the way, if you need pieces of paper, index paper, pens, Joe's got some, and there are plenty around. we got more than enough. All right, let's pray together. Our great God in heaven, we we pause to reflect on how great you are and how wonderful you've been to each and every one of us. We're so grateful that you've afforded this opportunity to each and every one of us. You've put within us the desire to to know you better, to know each other better. We're so great, grateful for your word and the power that it has to impact us, to change us, to influence us, to provide us with the answers we need uh, to face the challenges of this life. It's such a wondrous creation that you've blessed us with. It provides us with all the proof that we need to know that you are God, that you are our creator, and that you are righteous, you are powerful, you are all-knowing. And so at this time we submit and we humble ourselves and we consider what you have to say. And we are thankful for these men that have come before us to share with us uh, their knowledge of your word, their experiences uh, in life, as they've made efforts to be godly people and godly leaders. And now as we consider what each, each of us can do, not only to help our children, but to help those around us, those that we have influence over. And as we consider uh, the future and the generations that will follow, we recognize that our actions or our inactions will help shape the generations to come. Help us to appreciate how each of us has a part to play. How our example, how the things that we, uh, how the how the things that we do, and the things that we say, and the things that we participate in, that they all have an impact on those around us. Help us to appreciate how much we have an influence on each person that we touch in our lives. Again, we give you thanks for this church here in East Orange, for this body, for the work that is done here, and we're also grateful for the work of these men. We ask for your blessings upon each and every one of us as we strive to make heaven our home. We're grateful for our Lord who has left us left us so much to live up to, so much to follow. And we consider his sacrifice and how he selflessly led his life on this earth. May we ever strive to be like him. In his name we pray. Amen. Alright. So getting the ball rolling here. Uh, in the second session is and, and and again to summarize what we're trying to do in this one is how can we be helpful to children that maybe are not our own children so this first question comes from what can the church do to be supportive of especially young parents so again what can the church do to be supportive of young parents as a young parent, I guess I will start. Uh, uh, yes, that's God's plan. Uh, 1 Peter 4 talks about um, 
serving by the power of God. And that whole passage says that we can bring glory to God. This is really an issue of, of bringing the glory to God, whether or not we help each other. And there are people with uh, special challenges, and I can tell you from experience that there's a special challenge just to be a parent. Uh, for one thing, simply coming to church services has... Uh, I'm talking about getting there, as I sometimes become a more, an ordeal. And uh, one time I was, I was preaching, I said, Esther... Um, I said afterwards, I said, how'd that go, Esther? She goes, I wasn't able to catch half of it. You know why? Because she was trying to trying to control our daughter Eden. I'm not sure I believed her fully until um, she started teaching on, on Wednesday nights now, so I've got Eden there. And um, I didn't catch half of what the, what the teacher was saying either. So uh, it's, it's, it's a trial sometimes, and a special trial for if you are the only parent there to be able to deal with the kid, or uh, if you are a young Christian, you especially need those classes. Um, you're trying to keep the kids still. But instead of maybe last session, we would have addressed how to, how to try and uh, teach the child to be respectful during services. In this case, I think uh, what we want to do is emphasize uh, that other people can be very patient with that, first of all. Very patient as uh, parents are trying to deal with that. Um, we go to a, a Hispanic church, and I don't know if people have Hispanic friends to get to know that culture very well, but the mothers are especially very opinionated. Uh, one of the stranger comments we got, we got a lot, but I think there was a sister who was concerned that our daughter's ears might stick out too much, so she was telling us we need to tie them to the head. Um, that's, but... but that kind of thing can also be a little bit discouraging when you got and it could even be contradictory advice and it's not that they weren't trying to help I love that they were trying to help but being too pushy with their own personal opinions was not helpful to the young parents look for practical ways uh, to help young parents during services if they're willing maybe take the, the kid for a while uh, but most especially in spiritual ways and I think uh, these, these brothers might talk in spiritual terms, how you can be a help uh, to the young parents. Uh, there's plenty of biblical example of that. We've already mentioned Paul and Timothy. Uh, Jehoiada and, and uh, I think it was Joash, he had influence on. These are, these are non-biological parents, yet still being willing, willing to involve themselves in the lives of, uh, of children and other families where they see the need. Would either of you like to add to that? Was it young parents or families, or was it just uh, you go with it? If you got something, you... so so, and I didn't want to leave the <coughs> excuse me the comment when we were talking about uh, single parents or single mothers. I didn't want to. I don't know. I may have left it sound like a death day, just a no win um, situation or, or something like that. But the same thing is that that families can adopt and help uh, those mothers in those situations. And we should do that. And I have seen it done that men and women have taken upon themselves to assist. Because we're thinking about we don't want the pattern that's been set to be repeated. So the only way we can break that is, is through, the, through the word of God, through the character of God's people to break this. Because unless, it's, unless new information gets in the children... By nature, by but just natural, you will repeat the things that you've seen de demonstrated before you, and we don't want to do that. So, 
the the spiritual guidance that that uh, uh, the mother can get uh, the mother from from a parent that maybe a husband and even if it's a, a the wife the wife maybe an older uh, an older woman teaching a younger lady all of those things all of these uh, blessings that God has left in the church to be a blessing to to everyone that in any of the deficiencies we may have that's what we're here to do is help one another and the goal to get to heaven and, and to stop the the cycle of these things because sin has we wish we could say that we're talking about people that don't know the Lord, but we're talking about how it has infected people that know the Lord. And so we have to be a part of the solution to help these, uh, help these families, whether they're young families that never had any training or understanding, helping them, or in the case we were talking about as a single mother or maybe... I, I haven't seen too many single fathers, but most of the times it, it's single, it's single mother. That we have to do, uh, help them out in those deficiencies, and not just leave them out there. And I just want to make sure I didn't, I didn't want to sound like I just said, you know, that's just kind of a bad, a bad deal, and nothing we can do. We have to break that, or the the, the cycle will, will continue. As we've seen, you look at the, uh, <clears throat> you look at the Old Testament and see when a father has done something. Then the children turn around and do the same thing, and then they pass it on. Up. So if if bad stuff can be duplicated and and reused, let's let's start putting the good stuff in there, that, and let that be reused for generations and generations to come. I'll go a little bit back into the previous session, but to make the point in this one, I want to just you to think for just a minute about how children really learn, especially in the younger ages. I, my, my feeling is that they learn very much from what we do habitually, more than they learn from just you telling them. We like to go to church. We go to church because God likes that. Well, I think they could understand those words perhaps at a young age, but if we're not doing it, they understand. Sunday night, Wednesday night, no, that, that's not. But if, they, if you go to those sessions, whether they're maybe learning each single service or not, that habit is the teaching that they're getting. That's what's getting into their heart, is they, what they see the priorities and the regularity and the sacrifices that are made more than the specific teaching each time. So in the younger ages, you're really looking for something individual. Now here's the point I want to make about that. So coming to the worship needs to be as pleasant and as uplifting for those children as it can be so that it is a positive experience. And so if they come, they're not judged in some way, they're supported, they're greeted friendly by the, those that are there. They just love to see those kind of surrogate mothers and fathers that are there. They love the classes. A lot of attention put into those things. So that building on the habit that the parent can put it there by consist, consistent attendance, they're also having a positive experience supported by the group where they are as teachers and other things. One little example related to this business about kind of dealing with your child during the service. It's difficult. I say zoom out a little bit. There's a trouble period, maybe one to two years old, but with the right habits and discipline, it's so pleasant when you come out the other side and they can sit there still in front of the auditorium, paying attention to what's going on at the very front, and so it's just a peaceful thing. One of the most useful things that ever happened with our boys, and we tried to sit on, we did sit on the front row, always from the beginning. I think you guys did too. 
is that someone would turn around after church and say, your boys are so good in their hearing, right? And you know what that means, a big thing to them. that They remember that because somebody complimented their behavior. That did way more than anything we could do for weeks and weeks. For someone other than us to say, you did really good and compliment them on how they did in Bible class or they sat still or whatever. That's a kind of reinforcement, and maybe in a small example that maybe would be helpful. It could be the one time out of ten that they actually do. <laughs> still, that compliment will uh, maybe increase the percentages. All right, so here's a direct follow-up to that question. How can a church help single parents who are not godly with raising their children? You want me to repeat the question? Uh, I think we got it. Uh, okay. Bring up, bring them one to hear it again. How can it? How can the church help single parents who are not godly with raising those children? Oh, 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 oh! I forgot. They're having trouble hearing outside the tent. So talk into the microphone and don't yell. But be plenty loud. Yeah, that's the thing. Help them become godly. But it, that's that's a tough one. Um, I tried that. Um, my wife and I tried that with um, uh, two boys. That, that there was a Christian teacher, and she got me to come to the class and, and, and speak to the kids, just trying to encourage them. And she specifically said, "Hey, these two boys over here just need a mentor, somebody to try to." There's no father around, and so. Um, I thought it'd be a good idea for me, and at the time, my wife and I, we didn't have any kids. But I said, "Hey, um, you, you think your your mother would let you come over and spend a weekend with us? We can go, you know, bowling and these other things. Just trying to trying to help them in these things and talk about the Bible and those things like that." Well, we the and, and, and this is how how sad this is is that. Um, one of the mothers, we, we wanted them to meet it because, I mean, here's some strange people want want to keep your kid over. You're like, what, what's that? You know. So we set up one mother. We, we met her and everything. The other mother was like, well, okay, if you want to take her for the weekend, that's fine. I mean, we didn't even face to face. It was just a, a phone call. And so we, we picked them up, and they came over and hung out and everything else. And, you know, you're trying to say, hey, you know, your grades and be respectful to the teachers and you're trying these things here and give them a, a, a sense of seeing something else you drop them back off at home and there's mother watching wrestling drinking a beer unless I mean how, how do you if you can try all you want to on your side but if they, you, they've got to go back home into this environment where the mother or the father or whoever they're the guardian if they don't have any if they don't have any sense or any care about God, it's it's a difficult thing to do. Now, maybe sometimes I never got a chance to, to see those kids again. Um, I think we tried a couple of times, but we would never make it contact. But it is so hard for a child that you you try to do, and they go back into an environment that you you may have held them for a few hours, but they go back into something like that. That's that's life. It's 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 hard to do. To the, not impossible. You may be lucky that that maybe the parent will let you have them more often, those things like that. But that is a difficult task to do when you're trying to teach them godly things and some principles, and then they go back into a situation where there is no rules, there is nothing. I mean, the, the, when the kid came over, he didn't even say thank you. He just got on his bus and his bike 
and took off. So, I mean, again, it's just hard because you're fighting an up, upward batter. Not saying it's impossible, but it is really difficult when there is no reinforcement at home of the things that you're trying to instill in them. I think I remember being told by somebody that they visited our house and said, as soon as I saw your house, I said I knew that's the way I wanted my house to be one day. It hadn't turned out quite that way, but I, as negative as James just was about the possibility, and it's difficult, I think we just we go on faith in God that presenting a positive model maybe will stick in their heads, and that someday they will say, you know what, this isn't working out. You know, for me, and maybe they'll remember James and Loretta had me over, and they got along, and they knew what they were doing. And maybe I need to go figure out what they've got. I don't know what else to say. All right, so here we are, changing gears just a little bit. So I'm combining two cards here. One of them is about um, upholding the Word of God in, uh, in particular, the homo- uh, homosexuality and being called uh, a homophobe. And so one of the questions that was also asked is what do I do if a young person tells me they are unsure of their sexual orientation? Let me just point out, too, that our society is actually teaching children to question that. They, they really encourage it. If you go to the guidance counselor at school with that kind of thing, they're going to automatically assume that you have... That you have uh, other than heterosexual orientation and they're really going to encourage you in that uh, so that's unfortunate but what that tells me as far as uh, as far as if a young person came to me uh, and said that number one I'm not going to panic because I realize that that really could come from other factors uh, number two I realize that this is a sin like any other sin I know that this is like a, a main point of controversy, mostly because it's, it's all in the news and it is a, a point of very different opinions with the ungodly. Um, but it, it needs to be treated like any other sin. If my child came up to me and said, um, I think I'm struggling with lying, or I think I'm struggling with this or that sin, how would I treat that? Well, I would. Uh, calmly and, and over even long term. Uh, study through the scriptures with them. What does God have to say about this topic? Do it lovingly, affirming that uh, you, you can overcome these kinds of things. Uh, we certainly don't want to get the idea that this is uh, normal or okay. They're going to have plenty of people uh, saying that around them. Uh, there may be tendencies, but we, with God's help, we're going to be able to avoid the sinful uh, giving in to to wrong tendencies. I think it's well said. I I think uh, if we want to, it just you know, God's word has all kinds of warnings against behaviors that we naturally want to do, and so whether we see this as some kind of unnatural thing, which I think there's a sense in which it's presented that way, but let's treat it as a desire, wherever it came from, that needs to be overcome, if it's even real. And I think that's another question you might ask. What else is going on here? Um, it doesn't really match my experience, but that doesn't mean anything. Uh, but anyway, I think a lot of it may be artificially created. But I think that's the... Yeah, yeah. But in any case, um, 
I think you say, okay, what are the precursor behaviors? What leads to these feelings? Let's address those. What are the things you need to do to avoid the temptation? Let's talk about those. What are the things that you can do to get some help to help you during that time of temptation, if that's what it is? So very practical things. In addition to knowledge of the Word, go take practical advice, as you would if it was lying or some type of a drug addiction or anything else, and you believe it needs to be overcome and controlled in your life. Well, that's just the same as any other sin. All right, we're good with that? Okay, here we go. Changing gears a little bit. Uh, the quotation, A generation grew up that did not know God. Talk about the attitude someone should have to take on extra responsibility to influence others. Would you like me to repeat the question? Talk about the attitude someone should have to take on extra responsibility to influence others. The attitude? The attitude. <clears throat> so, um, we, we've used the war analogy a lot today. So, I would say uh, my personal um, attitude is I don't want to leave. Uh, I, I don't know if it's the Marines. I'm not sure which, which branch of the service is. You say leave no man behind. So, I'm very aggressive annoying about my brothers and sisters in Christ about them not missing going home I take a personal uh, even before I was a shepherd I felt just personally responsible for them and so I just went after them. if I see them struggling with something I just went after them. And, and, and assured them of my my love and their concerning God's love for them and what they're doing and so it, it is a, um, it is a, uh, oh, okay, here's the word. I have a militant attitude about that. And so, I don't know what form it takes in you, but it, it takes it takes a form in me. If, if, if you see a dog, like, biting somebody and holding on to them and saying, no, you're not going there. You have to tell me, no, I don't want God. No, I, don't, I reject Jesus to make me leave you alone. Other than that, I'm going to just... I'm going to fight for you when you can't fight. I'm going to fight with you when you're fighting. That's just the mentality that I have. And it's, I don't know if everyone else can have that kind of attitude. I don't know if that's what the question was talking about. But it is. It's one we're in a war and you just can't let someone that may be down because the enemy shouted out. You just can't leave them lying there. you got to go help. you got to do what you can to encourage and build that person up and, and do whatever you can. So... That's like I said. That's my attitude about it. I don't know if that's the question that you um, that the person asked, but that's 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 my militant attitude about um, about my uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't anything to add except before James was a shepherd. He said, "I'm not a shepherd, but I'm a sheep dog," <laughs> <laughs> and that was true. <laughs> That's very good. And uh, a couple a couple attitudes that, uh, as far as someone who didn't have children of his own, but was very, obviously very involved in uh, making disciples and, and uh, bringing others along in the faith, Paul, I think of some of the attitudes he, he demonstrated First uh, Thessalonians 2. He compares himself here, in fact, uh, to both a mother and a father. Um, and there's a couple of things he says I'd like to highlight. 
he says, for instance, in verse 8 of 1 Thessalonians 2, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. That's really an attitude that's difficult for me to arrive at. I just feel like I've got my own things and my own family, and then I see a, I see a need, but the idea of sharing my own self, the idea of them becoming so dear to me, affectionately desiring uh, that, it's almost difficult to me. It's, uh, why? Uh, I think what, what would really help us, and help me, I'm, I'm expressing, is... A sense of, of humility, of the, the brevity of our lives, the, the realization that we're just one link in the chain, these coming generations are, are just as important in the eyes of God, and really wanting them and, and being affectionately desiring of sharing our lives and, and bringing them up, of investing in them, really investing in them, even if they're not our children. Um, right now... I'm praying to God for this kind of attitude. There's a there's a family in our church where the father just left. Uh, three kids, three kids, teenage children, and they really need us in the church to have this kind of attitude that Paul had to be affectionately desirous to share with them in their lives. Uh, for instance, the the one uh, the one child he just needs someone to to teach him to drive took him out to learn parallel parking the other day. It didn't go too well, so I need to take him out again. But you see how the investment of time is, is almost an issue. Uh, but I think if we see the importance of them, we can really develop that kind of uh, attitude that Paul had. And that militancy is, is uh, another aspect of that. All right. Somewhat, oh, sorry. I'm gonna, just same passage, keep going. And you can see that was the feminine side. Paul said he was a mother. He invested himself. They were dear to him, just what a mother does. Keep reading. The father exhorts and encourages. He's the cheerleader. You know what I mean? That's the other half of that. That other attitude that says, you know, I'm setting goals for you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay on you until you achieve what you can be. And you can kind of see in that passage, even even though it's all about the apostle Paul, you can see a mom and a dad. Really, his feminine side and his masculine side. Maybe I don't know. You know what I mean? There's the emotional. No, he wasn't questioning you. But, no, but he. But you can see this investment of, of emotion, but also the, the encouragement, the positive goal setting, and, and cheerleading and the dad. Both of them. So here's a negative attitude. I'm only one person. I can't make a big difference. Can you give some ways to refute someone's thought process like that? Because if everyone thought that way, nothing would be accomplished. Well, you're not just one person. Of course, it's it's you and God. It's you and the Word. It's you and the power of the of the Holy Spirit that's been revealed through the Word. But it's also the rest of the family. It's the household of God. It's the family. It's it's all the people who really are part of this endeavor. And whatever you do, it's not just for the one person that you're helping. It's setting an example for everybody else that's watching, right? And maybe it's a motivation for the others who might be reluctant to try, and so on. So I think there's, you're more than one person. Well, I was, I was thinking about just quickly of, uh, about Barnabas, how he was the son of uh, encouragement. And then others tried to emulate some of those things. Now, they went about it the wrong way. But still, 
once you see someone doing something like that, then you, you have this tendency. It encourages you. It's like, I can, I can get up it too. So we, we just have, as individuals, we just have to start. Good. And Barnabas was a sort of a mentor to Paul in some ways. So could you not say that a lot of what Paul did uh, you can attribute uh, to, to Barnabas. Uh, some of the best work we will ever do is, is through other people. So it's, it's really a, a network and a chain that just keeps on going. Uh, I don't know. I think part of it, too, is we need to go from, from thinking we have to do some grandiose thing to the more humble thinking of, let me just have an influence on this person's life. And then the, they will do the same thing with somebody else, and eventually it'll, it'll get big, yes. But we really need to bring our, our thinking down uh, to, to really helping someone uh, that, we, that God has given us an opportunity with. All right, changing gears. So in a church and public relationship toward child upbringing, that's, that's what we're going towards here, is it okay for the church to provide counseling services through the preacher to ungodly children? If yes, how can this be done? I will read it again, then I'll hand it to you, brother. Is it okay for the church to provide counseling services through the preacher to ungodly children? If yes, how can this be done? question may be related to the role of the church as a social service in the community. Maybe that's the heart of the issue. Um, and maybe in some ways the preacher himself becomes an arm of the church to solve social problems. Our primary goal, and I, I think we'll, we'll say this and know this, is, is to save people. It's to, it's to be solving the problem of sin. A secondary problem of sin are social ills that come along with that. And so I guess one way to look at this would be the preacher himself as an individual may decide to use his time to help solve some of the social ills that are created. I guess, am I on the wrong track here? I think that's the idea. I don't know the answer. Um, I guess my my caution would be that we can get a little too, uh, put the emphasis, especially as a church, on solving social ills, which are secondary problems of the basic problem, which is sin which needs to be forgiven through the gospel. Once that's done, then we try to live Christ-like lives. So I would say anybody, including the preacher, as an individual, should, could, ought to, perhaps, do what they can to mitigate the ills that come from sin. But I would be a little concerned about the church taking on the role of being a counselor to the community for what is the secondary problem, I say it the third time, uh, which is the social ills created by sin, as opposed to preaching the gospel, which solves the, the core problem. Yeah, it may, may depend on what we mean by counseling services. Um, I think a, a lot of problems that people have are, are heart problems that Scripture directs you to. I think uh, it, it doesn't need to be something formalized in some kind of institute within the church. Um, but much more just the preacher doing his job of applying the Word of God to uh, spiritual ills. If that's what's going on in, in a child's life, uh, then he's, if I understand this question correctly, just uh, doing his job of, of uh, applying Scripture to the heart of a person. 
maybe that's a different perspective on the question. Maybe a little bit. Uh, yeah. Whoever asked that question, if that's not the answer, uh, you can you can come back to them uh, later. Okay. So here's a modification from a question that was asked in the first session that we didn't get to. the The question was, how to deal with the feelings of a child when there is not the unity of faith between the child and the parent. And so you could extend that to this conversation to where there is no unity between the faith of the person you're trying to mentor and yourself as well. How do you deal with the feelings of that individual? Is that the feelings of the... the, How to deal with the feelings of the child when their faith and your faith are different. And it puts in parentheses on this particular card, young adults. I'll say something uh, and then pass it on. Uh, And even if this doesn't directly address the question, I do want to emphasize that even as we encourage older people to be involved in the lives of younger people, even if they're not parents, there there is a, a give and a take in that relationship. There needs to be... It functions ideally when there is a, a definite willingness on the part of, if you want to use the term mentor and mentee. Um, you know, uh, in terms of, of females in Scripture, it seems to me like uh, maybe uh, Naomi was something of a mentor to, to Ruth, her, her uh, daughter-in-law, but not much of a men, uh, mentor to uh, or, um, what is it, uh, Orpah. Getting her confused with Oprah. Uh, why? Well, because Orpah wasn't willing. Uh, Ruth, much more, was willing. So, so the willingness is the ideal situation. I realize this question is, is addressing more the other idea of how do you work it when, it, when there's not the willingness, uh, when they don't share your faith. So I think what I heard was there's a difference in faith, but you'd like to keep the emotional and uh, you know, the tie of affection as much as possible, though there is a difference in faith and belief. That's the way I kind of interpreted the question. And I think it is important in the discussion, especially where there's a disagreement of faith, that there be no confusion about the love you have for the person. And that, as you say, we disagree on this, but still, it's not something that's going to separate my affection, my desire that the best things in your life happen, which is, of course, coming to knowledge of the truth. And I was... A phrase I keep thinking of is there's always a way home. Leave the way home open, right? We're not going to have some type of an emotional separation that, that b- blocks you out in, on an emotional basis. Sure, there may be a difference in faith that's got to be overcome, but let's don't make the emotions of the barrier as well. Maybe that's part of the idea. I think you, you ever, ever end the conversation, maybe continued contact indicates a continued affection and desire for their return, right? Okay, again, a question from the first, uh, the first one that, that ties in as well. How do you continue to encourage children, especially teens, high school age, when they are surrounded more and more by, athe- by atheism and agnostics? You've got to equip them. We, we've talked about the, the Word of God. And so for, for me, uh, with my boys and, and my boy's older, and the, uh, the last, uh, the girl is, is 13. So early on, um, I, I, in, in, in talking and discussing God's Word, you, you teach them how to defend themselves with God's Word. 
and so that the the atheists and, and the atheists now and I was talking about are more sophisticated than they were 20 years ago, um, and so they you have to have you have to be rooted and grounded in God's word and understand what the truth is and not let someone what a two second or two minute videos Christianity's debunked and just listen to you know, YouTube and then you just throw your faith away. There 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 is. Uh, concrete testimony that we have that historically and all these other things that we're following what is true and and so when when children are taught and enabled and you show them in the scriptures and show them in the things in the world that these things are, are solid you are placed your faith on solid ground on these things you'll be able to answer the enemy has not stopped lying and he'll continue to do so I mean, in in First uh, John, Second John, uh, uh, Paul. I mean, not Paul. Um, John was talking about the at that time he was talking about the the antichrist or anti messiahs. And at the time he says he was trying to warn them. He said that there's there's a lot of them coming. Well, two thousand years later, there's a whole lot more, and they're just regurgitating the same thing in, in different ways. But it's still the same thing, trying to deny these things and trying to use misuse information and so you have the the word of God and, and to have these the young people trust the word of God when you're answering these questions about this and not be afraid of it and and if there's answers that can't be answered uh, if there's questions that can't be answered then there's sometimes there's there's not even a biblical answer for it and he's like I don't know and there's no problem with that but the things to be assured of about who Jesus is is there a God is, did this world just pop into existence by itself? Has it always been? There are some things that the young people can be assured of and know these things and trust them. So when those, the atheists or whoever else, that can try to, we were discussing this, there's two questions, or there's one question that we have to answer for atheists in the world. The problem with suffering. That's the only question we have to answer. They have to answer every other question. Think about that. All we have to do is answer, why is there suffering? They have to answer, why is this world here? Why is things designed in such a way we see perfection and we see not perfect, we, we see or, um, order, we see fine-tuning, we see a lot of things about that that they can't explain. All we, have to, all we have to do is explain is about why is there suffering. And the first four chapters of Genesis explain why is there suffering. They have to explain everything else. So when you have... You, you equip them with this information. They're able to battle. They're able to deal with these questions. My boys that come to uh, public school, the particular the number two, he carried his Bible all the time to school in class. Used it in history. And the kids used to say, how is it that they were studying the Middle East? How is it that you're getting these answers from the Bible? He said, it's a history book. They've been told that this is a bunch of fairy tales and things don't exist. It's a history book. And he could find the answers, and they're studying over there in the Middle East, in the people, places, and the things that were going on. It's a history book. So when you're able to use the use this book in a way in a in a way that's in a in a, uh, a history class, but also start making these spiritual applications about why is our world the way it is, then you can make these impacts, and then it strengthens your own faith. Because I didn't tell him to bring. I didn't know he was bringing the Bible to school. He's doing this on his own, and so when they have trust in God's word, and then be, um, and they learn to be effective in using it, 
as not only as a defensive weapon, but an offensive weapon also. Yeah, that, that was a, a beautiful example. Uh, how do you fend, fend off infection? By having a strong immune system, right? So if things like humanism, uh, things like uh, evolution, if those are the, the virus or the sickness, uh, well then how do you strengthen your immune system against those things? And uh, that was beautiful how your son used the, uh, the word of God. Um, on the other hand, in very many situations of seeing kids use the pretext of things like uh, the arguments atheists use, uh, when really there may be something underneath it, of course, um, they get wrapped up in secular pursuits, the achievement of academics, the pursuit of a, a great career that, they're, that they think is going to bring them fulfillment, uh, and just the diversions, the, the things that the college campus offers, and then it's almost like their, their immune system is not prepared for when there's an infection, right? Um, so how did they get to that point with being so obsessed with just uh, secular pursuits? I think this goes back to some of the, the, the discussion we had on goals that we set for our kids as parents. If from an early age we're giving them, you know, rewards... And pray, lavishing praise on them when they hit home runs in baseball or they bring home good grades. Yes, we want to praise them for those things, but much more when they do some act of service or are kind or are respectful during church or sing with enthusiasm. We really want to show them that those are the things that are most important to us. Uh, and I think that will follow them up through school age, up through university age. So many of the issues I've seen with kids, this is almost the second point, but in middle school and in the university level. I think they could have been corrected as two-year-olds. Sometimes I think my daughter behaves better than my students in middle school. Uh, so if, you, if we see problems with like uh, lack of understanding of ethics, lack of uh, hard work, so many of those things could be corrected as a child. Now, that was almost the second uh, point, but it, I reminded myself of it as I was talking about the university level. All right, so we have two final questions, and we have approximately five minutes. So here you go. Have fun with this. What if I don't get along with my spouse? This goes back to the previous session. I don't know how you answer that in, in five minutes by itself either. We repent. It's a short answer. Um, you know... Truthfully, this is an essential element for rearing children is that the parents are setting the example of loving, forgiving, forbearing, sacrificial uh, service to one another. That's a foundation. And without that, all the teaching in the world you do is going to be totally undermined by the personal example that you've set. Uh, and it's harmful. And I think that, you know, you might say, well, okay, what about, it's not my fault. Of course, it never is. But what if, you know, it's all, it's all my spouse's fault. That's why we don't get along. Well, now here's your opportunity to show the forbearance and the selflessness and the humility and the sacrifice. That's a better example in some ways, maybe, than when everything's going right for the child. Maybe not ideal, but it's certainly a start. And you can only change yourself. Think about it. You can't change the other person, but start with that and do the right thing with regard to getting along 
with your spouse. Now, there may be a sub-question that is, what if we don't agree with each other about how discipline or how child-rearing? That wasn't really the question, but maybe that's an issue. Okay, we have different ideas about how discipline uh, should be carried out. And I would almost say repent on that one, but maybe it is figure it out. You know, you are adults. You need to figure that out. And there is a structure in the home where the husband is the lead. The Bible talks about fathers uh, having a primary responsibility for nurturing, you know, for disciplining their children, not causing frustration or exasperating them, to use the language of Colossians. And still, there's a leadership role there uh, where the father and then the mother in great support, and this is, of course, the role of the mom in, in, that, in that leadership setting, is to figure out how to best implement using the energy and imagination and creativity and brilliance that moms have to make that plan work. But I'd say fix it. It's not like you're going to limp through that and figure out how to rear your children. Fix that as a, as a first priority. Uh, uh, I, I don't know. I get tired of repeating the same thing, but again, you just cannot. Um, the children, it, they're watching us. They, that's the only way they're, they're, they're the only way this this message is going to get to them. They see it acted out. So you, like you said, you got to work it out. And you have the scriptures, you have the uh, the will to repent and those things. Sometimes somebody's got to carry somebody's carrying the whole the uh, heavier load. And none of this is easy. And I know sometimes we, we we're given answers. It's not like just go out there and do it. We know that sin has caused problems. And it has complicated things. But the answer is still with the scriptures, what God says. And so we just have to follow it and trust it. I, I tell, and it's, this may not be part of the question, or part of the answer. So I, I tell people that my wife is wonderful and treats me and all this. I said, it's not because I'm this great guy. It's because of her dedication and love to God. So she seeks first to please him. I'm just the beneficiary of that. Because I, I know sometimes, you like to say, we love each other, but sometimes we can't stand each other. So you, know, you, you understand what that is. It's just, but it is because she's put God first, and so that's who she's looking to please, and I'm just the beneficiary in the same way there. So when, when there is a problem like that, someone is no longer trying to give God what he rightfully deserves in our 100% submission. All right, final question. So this comes from uh, Proverbs 13 and verse 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. <laughs> what? The, I haven't asked the question yet, Marty. You, you ready? What negative influence has government laws... On child's training towards. <laughs> Basically, what the question is asking with the government laws and child abuse and all these different things, how has that affected the ability to raise children given what Proverbs 13 24 clearly states? Well, I'll say that as far as I know, it's, it's not against the law to, uh, to give your child corporal punishment. Uh, I'm glad that there are laws against child abuse and uh, very much would generally agree 
the Bible does not recommend abusing a child. Um, and there, we've already gone over some ways in which you could abuse. For one thing, don't hit in anger. Another thing, be careful where you apply that, that to. Um, never to the face, the abdomen, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, you don't want to injure the child. That's, that's, none of that is, is what we're going for. Um, I'll also mention, um, I think it's um, Proverbs 29, says that uh, the rod and reproof give wisdom. Uh, I almost felt like, um, maybe not so much in, in, our, in our discussion here, but at times we put so much emphasis on, on the rod, we miss the reproof part. And uh, that is a major element of, that's a God-given tool, the, the communication uh, the instruction, the, the, the entreaty, all that is, is a God-given tool for, uh, for raising children as well. And I don't think there will ever be uh, a law against those things. Maybe I should take that back there. Uh, the world finds a, finds a way, doesn't it? But uh, thankfully, we can use still, uh, without fear really of persecution, the rod and reproof. Um, now, that said, if we are in a, a public place, I take special precautions. I, I don't want Eden to get the idea that she can just act out because we're in the supermarket. But what I might do is go to an aisle where there's nobody. Or I might uh, go to the bathroom. And uh, that, that's where uh, I will apply the rod, so to speak. Uh, which in this case is usually my hand, of course. So what will happen? You know, where will it go? I think there are countries where there is, you know, a growing uh, legislation against that. I don't know if it comes to the point where you have to follow what God's instructed you to do, whether or not the law of the land allows that or not. Uh, That's that's all. People spare us two seconds. Gentlemen, this was not a question, but this is from me. So you each get to summarize one big thing you would encourage us to do uh, as fathers and mothers you got one thing the biggest thing what is that and then Michael is going to close us out uh, with a word of prayer following those answers Uh, probably the principal passage and it hasn't been read yet Ephesians 6 uh, verse 4 uh, these giving instruction of fathers. In fact, I'll read from verse verse 1. Ephesians 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, really, two things I think uh, important here. First of all, in the Lord is a phrase. We have authority as parents, but we have authority because the Lord has given it to us. We are agents of the Lord. That will help us on two fronts. Number one, to not be afraid, I think, to to use authority with our children. Too many parents are afraid to use authority with their children. The second of all, it's not our authority. Uh, It's not inherent in us, except that it's given by God. So this is not for our benefit. We're not just bossing them around to get them to be what we want them to be or do what we want to do or whatever. We are trying to get them to achieve the godly goal uh, of glorifying God. And uh, that's why God has given us uh, this authority. Second thing, this is for their benefit. Honor your father and mother. Why? 
that it may go well with you and may live long in the land. Okay? So when I discipline Eden, uh, this is really because I love her. It's for her benefit. And as she gets older, I want to explain to her over and over again that in you honoring me and your mother, this is not just so, so I can have a power trip. No, this is the, your zone of safety. Uh, so to me that principle is important. Remember, this is always for the child's benefit. Uh, because we love them and because we, God has, has bestowed on us this, this, this authority. I thought about before the session that there might be one answer to every single question, no matter what the question is. Um, and it is itself a question. And that is, if you ask whatever the question is, when should you discipline or what should you do? How do you say, how do you handle this? Should you ever raise your voice? What about uh, homeschooling? Imagine what the question is. Is it possible there's only one answer to that? Every single one. Which is this question. Uh, why are you doing what you're doing? And if the answer has to do with what Third John, I think, verse 4 says, I have no greater joy than to see my children walking according to the Lord. If that's the goal, and then every question that comes up is answered with this question, why am I doing it? What's my goal? And if my goal is to see that they're faithful, they win the battle in this world, then I'll be well motivated in whatever I do. And I'll make the right choices. So I would encourage, single message would be, every time there's a choice, are we going to church tonight or not? Are we going to go to the meeting? Are we going to have a home study? Are we going to discipline for this particular infraction? Whatever. The question should be answered with, what's my goal? What is my goal? And what in the decision I'm about to make? And how does it support that overarching goal, which is to all make it to heaven? That's kind of the same thing, but uh, the way I would say it, I just remember disciplining my, my boys. The reason why I don't mention my daughter, because she's not, she was not as hard-headed as the boys, so she gets as well. But I would always tell them, you know, um, it's not about the grades. It's not about these things. I, I My oldest son that sometimes seemed... Or early on, it seemed kind of lazy. I was like, this guy's never going to get a job. I mean, what, what is he going to do? I said, if you're out on the street because you can't have a you know, job, as long as your soul is saved, I'm all right with that. And so kind of what Marty was saying is that the end goal for your children is that their souls be saved. And so you're going to put all the energy, you're going to, your discipline, the things that you allow or don't allow will be for that for that ultimate purpose that their souls be saved because I am responsible for them and to put them on a path that it makes it easier for them now to grab their own faith and keep going forward with it that I did not cause any kind of stumbling blocks in their faith so they can easily now trust the father that's perfect and forgive the Father that was not perfect. Thank you guys so much. Thanks everyone for being here. Really appreciate you braving the cold, unlike the heat last year. Uh, really appreciate everyone being here. At this time, Michael's going to close us out. We'll be back out here again tomorrow at 5 o'clock. And it may actually be some, four, yeah, 4 o'clock. may actually be some questions at that time as well, as Marty's going to speak to us about shepherding uh, tomorrow evening. All right? Uh, Michael, why don't you go ahead and close us out.
Thank you, everybody, for coming, and especially thankful. We didn't expect any less, but thankful for your attitude, your uh, your, your demeanor, uh, and great questions. Those of you that ask these questions, we really appreciate them. Please bow with me in a word of prayer. Good Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the opportunity we've had to come together this afternoon to consider these most important questions, to learn and to gain from the wisdom of these men that have graciously come to be with us. We ask, Father, that for each of us gathered here, that you would bless us, regardless of our personal situations, regardless of our our background, our upbringing, of the advantages that we may have had, of the disadvantages we may have had put upon us. Bless us, Father, that we might learn from all those things. And that collectively we might take those abilities that we have, take the talents perhaps that that have grown within us, and that we might help each other. And especially, Father, that we might guide and help those that are younger than we are, that this world might be a better place in the future because of the efforts of individuals such as those gathered here today who care and who put forth their ability and their effort to make the next generation even better. We thank you so much, Father, for the hearts that are tender toward you, for the love and concern there is for your word and your wisdom, for the great faith that exists in people to turn to you with every question and to believe that that you have every answer. Help us, Father, when we leave this place to take with us what we've learned, to reflect and to meditate upon the wisdom that's been expressed here, to perhaps be better as parents, be better as children, be better as brothers and sisters toward one another. And help us, Father, that we might indeed influence younger people whose eyes are looking to us, and sometimes with wonder, sometimes many times with questions, but whose eyes are looking to us, hoping that we have some wisdom, we have some guidance to give them. Please help us to do just that. Thank you so much, Father, for every blessing you give us. In Jesus' name, amen.